me. I love to have fun. But today, I'm probably going to be a little bit more serious uh, than I normally am because I believe that what we're going to talk about today is so vital to so many people. Now, if you know someone who wants to believe in God but doesn't simply because he does bad things to good people, today is the message you want to share with them. Because I want you to know some things about that that only you could probably share with your friends. There's a lot of people out there. They see tragedy in the world, and they say, how could I believe in a God that would let that happen? I remember when 9-11 happened, and so many people were saying, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? You know, and we miss God simply because we misunderstand what his purpose is. What's the number one purpose for God? What, what do you think he wants from everyone? To love him and to worship him. He wants to be number one in your life. He wants to be number one in the lives of the people that we associate with as well. He wants to be number one. Now, he gives us warnings, doesn't he? Does God, has God ever given you a warning? I believe 9-11 was a big fat warning. You know what the warning was? Yeah, get right with God. Uh, but number one, don't trust certain things more than you trust me. The Twin Towers were attacked. They were the symbol of the economic empire of the United States. I mean, that's where it all, you know, that's a great representation. It was just full of economic and, and business things that were making billions of dollars. And so what God said was, don't trust your money more than you trust me. Second thing that was attacked was what? Oh, it hasn't been that long? Okay, the Pentagon got attacked. Okay, what was God saying in that? Don't trust your military more than you trust me. Okay, he says don't, he's not saying don't have military. He's saying don't trust your military more than you trust me. What do we have a tendency to believe? That we have the greatest military in the world, and we probably do. But when we place too much trust in it, that's when we supervent what God wants to do, and when we supersede what he says is good for us, and we trust something other than him. The third plane was alleged to have been going where? The White House. Don't trust your government more than you trust me. We are headlong. I want you to know, we are headlong in a journey towards trusting our government for everything. For our existence, for our, for our income, for our health care, for everything that we have that we need, we are going to trust our government for that. And that's what our government wants, I do believe. So God was saying, be careful about that. And so where was God in the midst of 9-11? Right in the middle of it. He was giving us a heads up, a warning, because we had trusted some things that were unable to prevent that tragedy from happening. And so God says, if you trust that stuff, let's see how good it is. And we found out how good it was in preventing that kind of attack. Now, I truly believe that people don't reject God. Okay? But they reject a false image of who God is. They reject a false image of who God is, and they have a distorted view of what he does and what he should do. And so today, we're going to take a look at the final piece of the puzzle here that we've been working through for the last four weeks. Remember the first week we talked about what? On-demand God. Why can, how can I believe in a God that when I put in a quarter worth of prayer, he doesn't give me a quarter's worth of response? You know, it's almost as if we make God our water boy and we say, here, God, here's what I want, and I want it now, and he doesn't provide it. I can't believe in him. Okay, second week, we talked about the, the killjoy God. Why does he have so many rules? Why does God have rules? And we found out that man has made complex what God really made simple. 
Okay, and remember, Jesus attacked the Pharisees for making up so many rules and making such a burden for the people to carry, and they wouldn't even lift a finger to help them. Jesus said, man, I don't care for all these rules either. There are certain rules that we need to have, certain fences we found. And, and remember what David said? The fences have fallen for me in pleasant places. Okay? Those fences, those rules have kept me from running amok. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, what did God do? He built a fence and he says, don't eat from this one tree because you have the knowledge of good. And this is the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve said, oh, God's withholding something from us. Was God withholding something from them? Yeah, yeah he was. He was withholding the knowledge of evil from them. And he didn't want them to know that, but they wanted it. And God let them have what they wanted. And all of a sudden they became aware of their nakedness, aware of their shame, and they hid from God. Okay, so is God a killjoy God? No, God is a God that says, here are the fences. You'll operate best when you stay inside the fences. Now, last week we talked about goosebump God. How can I believe in a God that I don't feel? Okay, and we have this sense and this, this perception that we should feel God all the time. Well, we found out that God speaks in still small voices, doesn't he? He doesn't always shout. And we can find God if we look for him in virtually every situation. Virtually every situation. If we look for God, we will find him. If we look not to find God, we won't find him. So you'll find what you're looking for. You'll find what you're looking for. Today, we're going to talk about the heartless God. Why does God let babies be born, you know, deformed? Why does God let marriages become destroyed? Why does God let tragedy happen? Why does God let some people get sick and some people he heals? Why does God let all that stuff happen? We're going to take a look at it today. And I hope that you're taking notes today. Because if you looked at your news app, or if you looked in the newspaper, or you watched news on TV, you're going to see this last week. What were you going to see? Anybody? What, what happened? Shootings. Shootings. People killing people. And it's interesting to me, too, that the people that we look to to protect us from that were getting doused with water buckets. They were getting taunted. They were being shamed. And it's just the world is turning upside down when it comes to authority. People no longer have a respect and a value for authority. And so, therefore, you're going to find that. You're going to find uh, racism. You're going to find shootings. You're going to find natural disasters. You're going to find all kinds of bad stuff. And when people are looking for a reason and an excuse not to believe in God, they'll latch on to those things. They'll latch on to those things. And they have this belief. And remember, there's two questions we always need to ask in those kinds of situations. Number one, what do I believe? Number two, who do I trust? What do I believe? Who do I trust? So when we look at all this stuff that's going on in the world, what do I believe? And if you ask the people that don't believe in God what they believe about that kind of stuff, they will often say this, God should have protected us. God should have kept this from happening. God should have done this. God should have done that. And virtually, we become God, right? Because we tell him what he should be doing. Now, some of you have experienced bad stuff. Some of you have experienced abuse. Some of it's been sexual. Some of it's physical. Some of it's emotional. Why does that happen? Why does that kind of stuff happen? Now, the statistics will bear out that if you looked across this room today, you'd find probably a significant percentage of people have experienced some kind of abuse at some point in their life in the past. Okay, so some of you are here and you've experienced that kind of stuff. Why does God let that happen? If God can do something, why doesn't he? Because we believe, what do we believe about God? God can do anything he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. He is a sovereign God. 
And so why doesn't he do that stuff? Why doesn't he take care of those kinds of things? Why doesn't he make our life as easy and pleasant as possible? Well, there, there's going to be some answers here today. Why does God let that stuff happen? Now, if God can do something, why doesn't he? Now, have you ever felt alone? Okay. Have you ever felt not alone? Okay. If you've ever felt like God doesn't do anything, you're not alone here today. If you've ever questioned, why doesn't God do this? And I believe that every one of us has at some point in our life probably asked the question, why didn't God do something about that? Why didn't God prevent that? Why didn't God cause that to happen? Why didn't God do something? Now, I love it when, when we get to the uh, people in the Bible that we think are kind of a step above all other followers of God. Okay, name some of them. Okay, Paul. Okay, let's back up. There's John the Baptist, there's Paul, there's David, there's Job. Let's take a look at some of those guys. David, he cries out to God, are you listening, God? How can my enemies triumph over me? How can all of these guys do good when they're bad? Why can they take advantage of me? I am yours, and all of these guys are beating up on me. All of these guys are causing me to run and hide, and and they're out after my life. My life is being threatened daily. And so why do you let that happen? King David even got to the point where he said, why do my enemies triumph over me? Where are you, God? Why don't you do something about it? Job. I mean, if you want to do a a study of somebody's life, take, take a look at the book of Job. Job is a righteous man. Job is a righteous man. He's a follower of God. He is described as a righteous man. And he doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. But all of a sudden, he wakes up one day. Somebody runs to his house and says, hey, guess what? All of your kids got killed and, and all of your, your crops are ablaze and all your animals are stolen. And man, it's a bad day, Job. And Job goes, oh, no. And only to make matters worse, he goes out and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. He's sitting out there in the dirt and he's, he's mourning the loss of all of his kids and his stuff. And all of a sudden he gets some friends that come by. Now, I'm going to just tell you, have you ever had a friend that's really a jerk? You know, have you ever had a jerk of a friend? Yeah, these guys are jerks. And, uh, and they think they're talking for God, but they're truly not. And they say, oh, Job, it's just confess your sin and, you know, fess up. God will make everything all right. That's what he's doing to you. I don't know about you, but I do know that there are some Christians who will say that to their friends. When th- bad things happen to them, we have a belief, a false belief about God. And that is when a bad thing happens, God's punishing you. Have you ever gone out in your car on Monday morning and started your car? You know, and it doesn't start. God's punishing me. Oh, I didn't go to church yesterday. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. God's punishing me by not letting my car start. That is not the... Don't believe that. Believe the truth about God. Don't believe those false lies. So Job's out there. He's got his friends, and they're saying, Oh, Job, just fess up. You know. And then his wife comes along. Now, if there was ever a need for couples therapy, they were the model couple. She comes up to him in the midst of all of his difficulties. And what does she say to him? Why don't you just curse God and die you know (laughs) now guys if your wife ever says that to you beware okay (laughs) just curse god and die Uh, it, it, it it happens to him and he's wondering and if you read through the book of job he's always wondering where are you god why don't you tell me what's going on why don't you tell me how i can make things right why don't you get things back on even keel for me why don't you where are you uh, and then there's john the baptist he might be one of my favorites 
uh, John the Baptist comes and he's paving the way for Jesus. His goal in life is to prepare people for the arrival of the Messiah. And he's going around, and how is he preparing the way? He's telling them to repent of their sins and be baptized. Repent of their sins, and the baptism represents a, 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 a repentance of their, their baptism represents a repentance of their sins. Uh, now, it's not being baptized into Jesus, and if you, if you get confused there a little bit, go back and read. Uh, but he, but he's, get, he's, get, he's a cousin of Jesus. So do you think he has his little special privilege? I'm the, I'm the cousin of the Messiah. You know, how much bad stuff could happen to me? Yeah. Have you ever had a big brother that went to school with you? You know, and kids started picking on you, and your big brother came along and said, you can't touch my, my brother, my sister, you can't touch him. I had a big sister, and uh, there was this kid around the corner, and his name was Ricky Peterson, and one day... Uh, he was picking on me. He was older than I was. He was picking on me in my garage. And my sister came out, and she just beat him. Beat him to a pulp. Yeah, yeah that was good news, and that was bad news. Uh, the good news is that Ricky, P- Ricky didn't bother me anymore after that. The bad news is I had a reputation of having a sister that could take care of business for me. And, and no kid wants to grow up with that. So that, that was kind of a thing. But John the Baptist had this idea that Jesus, my cousin, he, man, he could take care of every, everything. John the Baptist is the one that was preparing the way for Jesus. And he tells people, he says, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Don't follow me, follow Jesus. And one day uh, he's, he's out there and he's, he's baptizing people and Jesus comes to him. Jesus comes to him and says, hey, John, baptize me. And John's jaw probably dropped. And he said, I am unworthy to tie your sandals or untie your sandals. And, and that was a symbol of a slave, what a slave would do in somebody's household. Uh, as people walked around and they had dirt roads and their feet would get dirty and they would come in to eat at somebody's house and the slave would say, okay, let me wash your feet before dinner. It's much like you washing your hands before dinner, but let me wash your feet. It was a, a, a symbol of welcome. It was a symbol of a servant's duty. And so John says, I'm not even worthy to do that for Jesus. I am unworthy. And Jesus says, hey, trust me, just baptize me. And so he does. He baptizes him. And he, and he gets, you know, this idea that, man, I've got, I've got this thing. He, he baptizes his cousin. Uh, but later in life, he gets arrested and put in prison for doing the right thing, for confronting sin. He gets thrown in jail. I can imagine the first couple of days in jail, John the Baptist is sitting there and he goes, okay, we'll see what happens. Hey, my cousin, he'll be around. My cousin will show up. My cousin will show up. Pretty soon he says, I hope my cousin shows up. Then he gets to the point where, I hope my cousin shows up. I, I wonder if my cousin's going to show up. Uh, I don't think my cousin's going to show up. And one day there's this big banquet, you know, and, and, um, and one of the girls says, hey, you know, uh, she dances for her stepdad. And he says, oh, that was so wonderful in front of all these friends. What do you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And he wasn't going to give her half of his kingdom, but he, it was kind of a hyperbol- hyperbolic promise. That, Man, I'm so pleased. I'll give you a lot. And so she goes, she says, give me the head of John the Baptist. She consults with her mom because her mom had been the victim of his confrontation of sin. And she says, she says, I'll ask for the head of John the Baptist. So they go and they lop off John's head for doing what was right. Do you think while he was in prison, he's wondering, where's Jesus? Where is my cousin? Why doesn't God do something to rescue me from this? Now, um, it goes on. And, and time after time, you'll find people in the Bible that had these little episodes where Jesus or God could have done something for them, but he chose not to. He chose not to. 
And we could say, well, how can I believe in a God that does something like that? Well, today, I hope that we find some of the truth that will help you to do that. Now, I'm not going to be able to answer all of your questions in the next 30 minutes or 45. Let's give it 50 minutes, okay? <laughs> Hopefully 30, okay? But I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions, but I am going to be able to point you to the one who can give you the answers someday. Okay, I'm going to point you to the one who can give you the answer someday, but I hope I can answer some of your questions today. So let's talk about the, the truth about pain. Okay, the truth about this pain that we have when God doesn't do what we think he ought to do, when God doesn't heal somebody, when God doesn't restore a marriage, when God doesn't answer my prayer and I experience pain. What's the truth about pain? Number one, here, I want you to get this. God is not the cause of all pain. God is not the cause of all pain. And when we have this idea that he should do something about it, we believe that he's either the cause or the remedy of all pain. I believe that. He, is, he allows something to happen or he is the remedy for what can happen. But he doesn't always relieve the pain. Now, why is that? And where does this pain come from? Let's take a look at three causes of pain. Number one, have you ever been in a situation where you've caused some of your pain? I caused some of my pain. I'm a diabetic, okay? Hi, my name is Mike and I'm a diabetic. Yeah. Anybody else wanna join the group? Okay, I'm a diabetic. You know why I'm a diabetic? I eat terrible stuff. I don't just eat sweets. I eat anything that tastes good, okay? And you know what tastes good? Carbohydrates. Have you ever noticed how carbohydrates just taste good? Oh, chocolate cake, you know? Uh, Chocolate-covered raisins. Mm. You, go to the, you go to the show. I don't know when we last went to the show because I eat badly there. Big bucket of popcorn, a Diet Coke, and Raisinets. Yeah. And, oh, wait, wait. There's one more. There's one more. What is it? No, not licorice. Not red vines, but it is hot tamales. Oh, yeah. Hot tamales. And it's amazing how good... The raisinets and the hot tamales taste together. Oh, yeah, Mike, you're with me, aren't you? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and the rest of you have never tried that? No. Don't. Yeah, don't, because you'll end up diabetic. And you'll say, oh, Pastor Mike made me this way. No, your own choices made you the way you are. My choices have made me the way I am. Now, there's some stuff we can't blame all on me, okay? And some of the choices we make, you know, we don't know what the future holds. I remember when my parents were young, uh, and I was young. In fact, I was unborn. Uh, they started a habit, and they smoked. And as they smoked, uh, they, didn't know, they didn't know that it could cause cancer. And I remember when I was about, I don't know, 8, 10 years old, uh, they would always smoke right after dinner. And I, I just did not like the smell of smoke. And so I'd wolf my dinner down, and I'd, I'd vacate the dining room. And uh, they would have a cigarette after dinner. And all of a sudden it came out, uh, the Surgeon General said, that you know, smoking leads to cancer. Cancer leads to death. And they said, oh, we got to quit. They didn't know that what they were doing could cause them to die. And so they quit. They truly quit. My dad ended up you know, some 50 years later, probably 40 years later. How old am I? Yeah, so probably 40, 45 years later, he died from emphysema. You know, he quit smoking. He realized that it was bad for him. But the choices he had made got him to where he was. Now, where are you today? You know, in your health, in your wealth, in your wisdom, all of that stuff. 
You are where you are today based on the decisions that you've made in the past. Some of them are well-informed decisions. Some of them are not. So therefore, you are the cause of some of your own pain. Isaiah 59.2 says this. But your iniquities, you know what that is? You know what iniquities are? Stuff you've done wrong. Okay, stuff you've done wrong have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his faith from you so that he will not hear. Why do we sin? Why do we sin? Because we choose to. <laughs> we choose to do things and we, sometimes we're ill-informed and we can sin. Sometimes we are informed and we can sin. Okay? So therefore, we cause some of our pain. There's an there's a old adage that says, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Okay? Now, how's your health today? Okay, is it based on decisions you made in the past that you say, man, if I had known then what I know now, I would do things differently. I'm there. I'm there. I would do things differently. How about wealth? You are where you are wealth-wise based on the decisions you made in the past. If you knew what you knew, uh, if you knew what you know now back then when you were making decisions, would you make better decisions? What would you invest in? Microsoft, AOL, even AOL. If you sold at the right time, man, you'd have made a bundle. You know, who knows what AOL is today? Well, I don't know. You know, but nonetheless, you'd have made a bundle of money. If you'd known then what you know now. Okay, so we're where we are based on the decisions we have made and your wisdom. Okay, now most of us are wiser than we were back then. We've learned lessons the hard way. Some of us have learned lessons from other people. What would you rather do? Learn from others or learn from your own mistakes? <laughs> some of us would rather learn from others, but many of us would rather learn from our own mistakes. And we're warned. Have you ever been warned by your parents, don't do that or this will happen? And you say, oh, that won't happen to me. Yeah, okay, see, we have that same kind of problem. Okay, that's, we are the cause of some of our pain. You know, number two, the devil causes some of your pain. Did you know that? The devil likes to get in your life and mess around with you. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be alert, and be of sober mind. That means clear thinking. Okay? Be alert, be heads up, and have clear thinking. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a what? Now, have you ever heard me talk about cats? You know, cats are small versions of this roaring lion. Okay? I'm just saying. Okay? Uh, and what is, what is this roaring lion looking to do? Looking for someone to eat for lunch. Looking for someone to devour. Your enemy's looking for weaknesses in your life so that he can capitalize on those things so that he can discourage you. So that he can deter you from doing good. So that he can ultimately, what his goal is to disqualify you from spiritual life at all. Okay? That's what he wants to do. He wants to neutralize your influence for God. And he will do whatever he can do. He will cause whatever pain he can cause. And many times we misapply our blame from him to God. We say, God, why didn't you keep that from happening? Well, why did you cooperate with the devil? You know, there are people who, unbeknownst to them, unwittingly cooperate with the devil. And I'll just give you a small example here. Have you ever awakened on Sunday morning and just felt too tired to go to church? I'm going to tell you, that's a real tool of Satan. If he can keep you out of church, he can keep, and his goal is to what? His goal is to separate you. You know how lions devour elephants? Have you ever watched National Geographic? They pick out the weakest elephant. 
Okay? And they'll start charging the herd. And the herd, the strong herd, runs faster than the weak people, right? And so the strong elephants, they charge, they get out of there, and some of them will even fight. Uh, but they'll get the little baby elephants that can't run as fast, and they'll separate them. They'll say, hey, little elephant, don't go to church. Get away from the herd. And they'll separate them, and pretty soon they're devouring them. Okay? The devil causes some of your pain. And when we unwittingly co- uh, cooperate with him, what we're saying is, hey, you know, I, I, I don't mind. I don't mind. Yeah, we see the benefit of sleeping in. We see the benefit of whatever. And I'm not saying you have to come to church every Sunday. Don't misunderstand me. But I am saying you have to come to church every Sunday. Okay. Okay. Now, who is the devil? What is he known as in the Bible? He is the father of lies. Lies. He will deceive you. He will deceive you to believe something that is not true. He'll deceive you to believe things that are not true. And he'll, believe, he'll do this. He'll say... When you get a temptation, what will he say to you? No one will know. No one will find out. And you go, oh, really? And let's be honest, sin is fun, right? Okay, there's a lady that was in my church before, and whenever I would say that, I would say it rather frequently because I knew she would chime in, and she would say, for a season, you know, and that's true, it's only fun for a short time until you get busted. And so, so... See, he says, no one will find out. And then you do it because it is attractive. It does seem good. It seems, you know, like I should. And you do it. And then you know what he says? I'm going to tell everybody. (laughs) Yeah, don't believe him. He's a deceiver. He will do exactly that to you. He's the father of lies and he's going to deceive you. Okay, there's a third cause of our pain. Real quickly, the world influences cause some of my pain. The world in which we live in cause some of our pain because our world is opposed to the kingdom of God. Okay? Our world is not in harmony with the kingdom of God. And when we start believing our culture more than we believe our spiritual guide, Jesus, then we're going to be in trouble always. It says in 1 John 2.16, for everything in the world. Now, this world has three different meanings in the Bible. If you read through the Bible, you're going to find the world used three different, in three different ways. Number one is the planet upon which we live, the earth. That's our world, right? Okay. Now, the world also means uh, the people who inhabit it, the people of the world. Okay. And those people are always characterized by having a cultured influence rather than a godly influence. Okay, they are representatives of the culture. Now, uh, how many of you have ever noticed that the culture we live in is not always honoring to God? Every day. Okay, every day. Okay, that's the world that I'm talking about here. The influence of the people who do not know God. Okay, the influence of the people who do not know God. That's pervasive in our culture today. All right, it's pervasive. So when Jesus says, or yeah, when Jesus says this, uh, for everything in the world, he's talking about that world influence, and he's going he's gonna to give some instances. The lust of the flesh, anybody ever here, here want to confess to that? Ever having the desires of your flesh? How many of you want to overeat? How many of you have ever eaten too much? How many of you plan on eating too much this afternoon? Yeah, okay. okay, that's the lust of our flesh. Okay? Our flesh says, I want this, I want this, I want this. It doesn't always refer to sexual impurity, but it does refer to the things that our body wants. Okay? My body wants a temperature between 70 and 72. Okay? When it's too hot outside, 
my flesh lusts for 72 degrees. Okay? And it, come, it shows itself in various forms. So when I, get, when I get there and I say, oh, it's too hot to go outside. I know Jesus wants me to go over there and talk to that person, but it's too hot. You know, I'm yielding to the lust of my flesh. So it comes in a variety of forms. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Have you ever seen something you wanted that you said, I can't afford it? Yeah. Don't ever go to a car lot when you're in that condition. Okay? Because there's a guy there, there's a guy there, and sometimes it's a lady, that wants you to just get in the car. Just drive the car. Okay? Remember when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and she sees the apple, and, and the serpent comes up and says, hey, why don't you eat the apple? She goes, oh, no. God said, don't eat. He says, oh, but look at it. She goes, oh, it does look good. And it looks like it would be juicy and, oh, gee, wonderful. And he says, here, take a bite. That's what that car lot salesman's going to do to you. Going to get you in the car. Going to get you to do something you ought not ought to do. Okay. Now, I used to be a car salesman. You know what we were trying Oh, you didn't know that, Kathy, did you? Oh, man. <laughs> My image has changed dramatically in your eyes, hasn't it? Okay. What, were you, what, what are you trained to do as a car salesman? And I'm not going to say there are some good car salespeople out there. I just bought a car from Ricky Melamita. He is a great car salesman. Honest as the day is long. And so, therefore, there are good people. But what do they want you to do? They want you to get in the car and drive it. They want you to, I, I was taught, get them to fall in love with the car. You know, there's 72 easy monthly payments of $806 a month. Easy. You have great credit. Borrow the money. Okay, so that's how, that's how this whole influence of the world works. Okay, now, lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. Have you ever been in a position where you were too proud to admit a mistake? Have you ever argued, had an argument, and in the course of the argument, you become aware, oh, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And you kept arguing anyway? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and very few people say, oh, yeah, oh, man, you convinced me, I'm wrong, you're right. You know, very few people say that. But this pride of life that says, hey, I can't admit failure, I can't admit wrong, all of that stuff comes in this idea of pride of life. Now, all of those three things comes not from the Father, but from where? The world. I want to look good to my culture. I want to look good to the people around me. I want to look good to the people that don't even know God. And so, therefore, I'm going to do, I'm going to fall victim to these things. Okay? So, now, in this, in this influence of the world, can other people bring you pain? Yeah. When you start getting involved in, in this whole idea of the world influence, sometimes people will harm other people, won't they? And we could be victimized by that. Somebody could walk into this church today. We'll probably have nobody here next Sunday. But somebody could walk into this church today, and because of their influence from the world and their belief that Christians are the enemy, they could come in here and shoot a bunch of us. Okay? I'm going to duck behind all of you because I'll be the farthest from the door. However, you know, that, that, that could happen, right? And we would say, where's God? Well, God is saying, follow me. Don't follow the influence of the world. And it does happen. Okay, now let's talk a little bit. Let's switch gears a little bit. And let's talk about two things uh, when God doesn't seem fair. What, what can we learn from the fact that, it, that sometimes God does not seem fair? Number two, God has a purpose in your pain. God always has a purpose in your pain. 
okay, in your pain. Now, notice it doesn't say for your pain, but in your pain, God always has a person, a purpose. Now, someone lets you down, okay? You lose something important, okay? Someone lets you down. Have you ever had a friend that just let you down? You know, maybe they betrayed you, okay? They betrayed you. I've had that experience. People have betrayed me, and, uh, and it's painful. It hurts. It hurts. They say things that are untrue about you, and people believe it. And, and to me, it's just amazing when that happens. But that happens. And so people let you down. Uh, have you ever lost anything important? You know, like your reputation. Your reputation. Have you ever lost that with some people? Okay, that's, a, that's important. Okay, and have you ever had somebody just take advantage of you? You know? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's a person that you value. Maybe it's a person that you trust. And they take advantage of you. And your trust level does what? Your trust level starts to decrease. And when your trust level starts to decrease in the people around you, often your trust level with God starts to decrease. Why didn't he protect me from that? Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? Why doesn't he punish those people to say bad things about me? And I don't trust God anymore because he just doesn't seem to be standing up for me. And so therefore, that happens. When life doesn't give you what you want, sometimes you start questioning, what value is this experience in my life? Maybe it's cancer. And you say, what value could cancer have in my life? You know, and God is just concerned about cancer in your life as he is about a sore throat on a day that you might have to make a presentation at work. God is just as concerned about that as he is about the other. How about when there's death in the family? God is just as concerned about death in your family as he is about the day that you have a flat tire on the way to work. God is concerned about every aspect of your life, and God is always present. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, So be truly glad. Okay, Circle that word glad. Circle the word truly, too. Be truly glad. Don't be fake glad. Have you ever run across a Christian who's fake glad? You know, you go, no, that's not true. That's not, they're not sincere, you know. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're praising the Lord and far be it for me to judge people, but, but sometimes there's just, you just wonder. You just wonder, okay? So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Now, are you getting excited yet? Yeah, be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Oh, man, took a U-turn there, didn't it? Okay, even though, be truly glad. Now, why would Peter here say that we can be truly glad and there's wonderful joy ahead? Well, let's go to verse 7. These trials will do what? Here's what these trials will do. They'll show that your faith is genuine. They'll show that your faith is genuine. Or it will show that your faith is not genuine. Okay, when I commiserate with people, or, or when I'm miserable in the midst of my trials, when I just say, where's God? Oh, wow, dang, oh, you, know. you know, that's a legitimate question. Where is God? He's right there. So if you can ask that question, and God, I'm right here. Don't worry. You're okay. You're going to endure this for a little while, but it's going to prove your faith. Now, who do you need to prove your faith to? Do you need to prove your faith to God? God knows exactly what your faith is. He doesn't have to be made aware. Do you need to prove your faith to yourself? Sometimes. Sometimes. Do you need to show your faith to other people? Yeah. That's where the arena of faith is fought, is in your own heart and in the lives as it affects the lives of other people. So God knows what your faith is, and he says what? About temptation. You're never going to be tempted beyond what you can 
endure. Okay, so therefore, whatever the pain is, I can endure because I know that on the other side of this, God is going to receive glory and honor. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Now, how does fire purify gold? It heats it up until it melts. Did you, have you ever seen the refining process of, of gold? They heat it up and all the junk rises to the top. And then they skim it off. Heat it up, skim it off, heat it up, skim it off, heat it up, skim it off. Now, your faith gets heated up every now and then. The impurities are, are what? What are the impurities in your faith? False belief. Okay? Now, whenever you go through a trial, the goal is for you to define, what do I believe? Who do I trust? Okay? So whenever you're going through a trial, ask yourself that question. What do I believe? Do I believe that God should just wave a magic wand and and take this all away, that's a false belief. So God's going to heat you up, skim it off. And he's going to heat you up, skim it off. And he's going to do that for the purpose of your false beliefs rising to the top, because those will be the first ones that you mention, rise to the top so that you can deal with those and get rid of them. Now, I have a more pure perception of who God is. I have a more pure perception of what his promises are. And so therefore, I can trust him because I know him. Now, can you trust all the false beliefs you have about God? No, no. And that's why God brings these trials into your life. Now, he says it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Now, I thought, I thought about that for a minute. And I thought, how much is gold worth today? Anybody know? Anybody traders in the market? It's a little bit over $1,500 an ounce. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. Calculate your weight in ounces, multiply it by 1,500, and if you weigh the amount that I weigh, you're worth exactly $4.512 million. Your faith is worth more than that. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. Some of you say, man, I'd like to turn you into a brick of gold. <laughs> Cindy first. She laughed first and loudest. Okay. 4.512. You're worth more than that. You're worth more than that. So, when your faith remains strong through many trials, what will happen? It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. When Jesus returns, he's going to say, man, I remember when. I remember when this happened. Man, you stood up for me. You testified about me. You trusted me. Man, awesome. You get a reward for that. That's what's going to happen. Now, God doesn't always cause the pain, but I'm going to guarantee you this. God can always use the pain. He can always use the pain to bring glory and honor to himself through you. Now, it's kind of interesting. Um, as some of you know, I hope as all of you know, uh, I'm going through radiation treatment for my cancer that has recurred. And uh, I met a guy the other day at the radiology oncology center over in Vacaville and his name's Frank and I, I the first day I went in there and he's always in there waiting for his wife who has the appointment right before mine so I see him every day and the first day he he gave me a million dollar bill that was nice. it was nice but it's only worth a quarter of what I'm really worth you know <laughs> and so I thought man what do you think I am cheap uh, but uh but he gave me a million-dollar bill, and man it, man, it looks awesome. It's got the million dollars, 1M, and Benjamin Franklin on it, and the whole thing, man. And I flipped it over, and it has what? 
how to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I thought, and, and he gave it to me just as I was going into my appointment, so I didn't get a chance to really look at it. So, and I did notice that he wanted to give one to the nurse, and she said, oh, I already have one. And she went on, and I thought, there's something about this million dollars, or she'd be asking him for two. Uh, but so I, I flipped it over and realized, oh, it's not really a million dollars. And he had a wad of them. I mean, he had a wad of them. And uh, anybody wondering if I really thought that? Nah, I don't know. Uh, but here he is. And he gives it to me, and I read it after I go out. You know, I go, man, that's awesome. That he thought uh, that he wanted me to know who Jesus Christ was. Man, what an awesome guy. And so the next day I walked in, and, it, and it's, as I'm walking out the door, you know, the first day he gave it to me, he says, hey, you can take that to Walmart, buy something, they'll, they'll give you change. I said, okay. So the next day I walked in and I said, hey, Frank, I, 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 I spent my million dollars. And uh, he goes, oh, good to hear, good to hear. Did you read the back? I said, yes, I did. And I want you to know I'm pastor over at Marina Church, and I, I really appreciate what you do. I appreciate you standing up for Christ. And so he spent the next 15 minutes talking about how God had saved him at 42 years of age. And at the end, he, he went, in fact, when I walked in, he was just looking down at these scraggly pieces of paper that was written on that was faded and everything. And he goes, oh, yeah, that was my prayer list. He, he said, I got six sheets of that. And he says, when I, whenever I'm sitting waiting for my wife to do her, her, her radiation, I just pray and you know, pray through those things. I do it several times a day. And uh, he says... Here, I'm going to put you down. So he put my name down. He says, what's the name of your church? I go, Marina Church. He goes, Marina Church. I'm going to pray for you guys. So I want you to know today that even though I'm not crazy about having my cancer return, I'm not crazy about that, but man, God is using that. God is using that because every one of you was prayed for by Frank several times each day this week. Several times. You know, I, I, just, say, I just say, man, that would not have happened if I had not had this experience of cancer. So God has a purpose for our pain. Number three, and we're going to close with this. God is present in your pain. You are not alone. You are not alone. God is present in your pain. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God is ever-present help in trouble. Whenever you're in trouble, whenever you're in pain, whenever you don't know what end is up, God is always there. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has not abandoned you and turned his back on you. Okay? Um, but what do we need from God at that point? Sometimes we want God to give us what we want, right? I, first thing, you know, uh, when, I, when I was re told that uh, my cancer had returned, the first thing I wanted you know, was to make sure that God got his job done in whatever experience I'm going to have. What's our first response? What's our first prayer response when somebody that we, that we care about, not me, but somebody we care about, uh, gets cancer? We want God to do what? Heal them. Heal them. I'm not sure that's the first response we ought to have. I'm not sure. Number one response is, God, accomplish what you want to accomplish through this experience. And if at the end you want to heal, we're all up for that. That God, we want you to be made known through this experience. We want you to be made known through this experience. And, but our first response is, God, we want you to do what we want. But what does God want to do? God wants to show us he is what we need. Healing is not what we need. He is what we need. And we need to have a vital, vibrant, intimate relationship with him so that even if God chooses to do something other than what we want, 
We have peace in the midst of that. And we get a chance to share what he's doing and who he is to the people around us. Now, check out how this happened in the Apostle Paul's life. Okay? Paul has a thorn in the flesh, right? He's got a thorn in the flesh. We don't exactly know what that is. We don't know how it happened. We don't know why it happened. But we do know that on three separate occasions, three separate occasions, he prayed to have it relieved. Okay? God, remove this from me. God, remove this from me. God, remove this from me. Did God remove it from him? No. Now, let's take a look at his history. What was Paul's history? Okay? What was Paul's history? Well, number one, he had... Uh, he had persecuted the church, right? He had persecuted the church. He had this miraculous experience uh, where God shows up, Jesus actually shows up and, and, and changes him, okay? Blinds him, he goes and gets sight again. And, and all through that, he becomes aware of who God is, who Jesus is, and he becomes a servant of his. He has a life-changing experience. Now he gets this thorn in the flesh. Now, do you think that maybe for an instant, Paul thought, Oh, now I'm getting my paybacks. Now I'm getting my paybacks. You know, I, I, I did all this stuff to the followers of Jesus, and here I am. You know, now I'm getting my paybacks. Well, he prayed three times that God would relieve it. God did not relieve it. It's kind of, you know, he's, he, he had been stoned, okay? He had been persecuted. He had been, and when I say stoned, I'm not talking recreationally, okay? He got, <laughs> he got stoned. He got, he, got, he got beaten up. He was left for dead. He was snake bitten. He was all, all kinds of bad stuff happened to him. All kinds of bad stuff happened to Paul. And so here he is, and he says, God, why don't you heal me? Why don't you heal me? And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, here's what God said to him. He writes this down. But he, speaking of God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. So he says, I want healing. I want healing. God says, no, you need me. You need my grace. You need my mercy. You need my grace. You need my mercy. So when we pray for healing, what's the number one thing we need to recognize? We need God's grace. We need his mercy. We need that more than healing. We need that more than anything because that's what affects our eternal future, not our temporal future. So he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he gives the reason why. Because, or for, my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. God's power is made evident in his followers' weakness. Okay? Now, if you show up strong, you know, and you overcome something, who, the people around you say, wow, you're strong, you overcame that. But if they see your weakness, they say, how did that happen? How did you overcome that? God did it. God did it. And so that's why he is always present in our time of need, in our, in our pain, because he wants to be made known through it. Now, um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, here's Paul's response to that. Here's Paul's response. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'll be weak so that I can have the power of Christ in me. And now, whose power is stronger, yours on your best day or Christ? Christ, yeah. And so why wouldn't you want to fall on his power and limit your own abilities to overcome or do whatever? Now, I'm not saying that you don't participate in it because it takes strength to lean on Christ. It takes strength not to try to take charge of your life. It takes strength to remain pure to the cause of Christ. 
So it takes strength, but it's not that you're going to solve your problems. It's the strength that he's going to work through me. It says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse number 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, not for my own sake, but for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. When I limit my own self and rely on the power of God, that's when I'm strong. That's when the greatest strength happens. So therefore, what should we do? When I have a headache, okay, I delight in headaches. They draw me closer to Christ. Okay? I'm going to suggest that when you have a difficult, painful time in life, that you do something. You know what happens with pain in our lives? When we have pain in our lives, what do we focus on? The pain. And the pain and, and, and it becomes all about me. Why me? Why me? Why me? And Frank, my buddy over at the, the radiation center, uh, he was saying about his wife, he says, you know, since she's been going through this, she has never once asked the question, why me? Never once asked the question, why me? You know? And I, I thought that was really cool. So when we have pain, it should cause us to say, okay, I need to draw closer to Christ because he's exposing my weakness. And when my weakness turns me to him, then I become strong. I become strong. I delight in my job search because I recognize that God is my provider, not me. God is my provider, not me. I delight in hard seasons of life, breaking me off of self-sufficiency because I rely on the teachings of Christ. Okay? When I become weak, then he becomes strong. I delight in lonely seasons because I get to experience Emmanuel, God with us. Now that's pretty cool. And when we can change our perspective about the pain that we experience and focus on what God wants to do through it rather than the, the, the circumstances of my pain, then God can receive the glory and the honor. Many times we just take a look at our lives and we look at the Instagram snapshot, right? We're looking at what's happening right now. And if you trust Christ, like we've talked about here in the midst of your pain, and you look at that over a 10-year period of time, you're going to say, ah, oh, I see why this happened over here, because it caused this to happen. When you look at it today in the midst of your pain, you have no idea how God's going to use it. But if you realize and you determine, I'm going to look for how God's going to use this in the next 10 years, you will probably see how God's going to use it. A lot of people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? A lot less people ask, why do good things happen to bad people? Have you ever thought about that? Why do good things happen to bad people? I'm going to confess to you, I'm a bad person. Okay? I have sinned in my life. I've sinned. I'm a bad person. But I've had a lot of good things happen. I've had a lot of good stuff happen to me. You guys, this church, this is good. This is a good thing. This has happened to me. And I bless God for that. I bless him for all the good he has done. Because you know what? When I ask the question, why do, why, do bad, or why do good things happen to bad people? I realize that God is not fair. Have you ever thought about that? Is God fair? No, God is not fair. Are you happy that God's not fair? I am. Because you know what I would be if God was fair? I would be punished for every one of my sins. I would be punished. I would be punished. If God was fair, I would never gain heaven. If God was fair, I would suffer the severe consequences of everything that I have done wrong. And you know what? 
I have not suffered the severe consequences of everything I've done wrong. And I want to read to you a scripture here from Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. Speaking of God, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Did you know that? Okay, so if God was fair, you would get fair treatment. You would get banishment from heaven for eternity for one sin. That's what disqualifies you from heaven. God would banish you from heaven for one sin if he was fair. But you know what? He's not fair. He is just. He's just. Notice what it says in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now you've heard me talk about this passage of scripture before. How far is north from south? It's right next door. You, if you look at the globe, you go south around the globe, right? You get to the very bottom of the globe, and you go one millimeter. When you get to the very bottom, you go one millimeter, and which way are you going? North. north. You get to the top, and you move one millimeter. Which way are you going? South. They are right next door to each other, aren't they? You start going east. Let's see, which way would be east for you guys? This way. You're going east. When do you start going west? Never. You will always go east because west is the opposite direction. Isn't that interesting? God has separated your sins, not as far as the north is from the south, but as far as the east is from the west. You go east, you'll never go west. You go west, you'll never go east. That's how far apart they are. That's how far God has separated his sins from you, or his sins, your sins from him. And he has separated that from you. And he has removed your transgressions. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when we stop and think about this whole idea of God being fair, he is not fair, he is just. And you know what justice says? Justice says sin must be punished. Hands down. Sin must be punished. Your sin must be punished. It must be. But you know what God says in his grace and his mercy? He says, I'm not going to punish you for it. I'm going to punish my son Jesus. I'm going to put all of the weight of sin on him. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to make that payment for justice for your sin. He's going to justify your sin. He's going to die on a cross. And my justice is going to be satisfied because I am a just God. Sin must be punished. Jesus is going to take your punishment. He's going to die. He's going to go into the grave. He's going to be resurrected three days later. Jesus hanging on the cross. And what does he say? He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. In Aramaic, that means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he had the weight of sin on him. Jesus was punished for our transgressions, our sinfulness. And so therefore, it's been paid for. Now you can accept the payment or you can deny the payment. You can make your own payment. You can accept Jesus' payment. I recommend you accept Jesus' payment. Okay? It's already been paid. It's already been paid. But if you choose to make a donation, feel free. You can do that. I don't want you to. Because you know what your donation is? Eternity separated from God. God is in heaven. You will end up destined for hell. That's where you make your payment. So therefore, I want you to know that God, when he brings pain into your life, it's for your good. He is always present. He will always use it. When he allows it, there are those two things. He is always present. He will always use it to bring glory and honor to me. I remember when my daughter was born, uh, she had a cleft palate. 
And she always had to go get, she was going to get surgery, and she had to go several times to the doctor to get blood drawn. She's a little baby. And I mean, she's not even a year old. And uh, she had to give blood, you know, get a blood thing. And the doctor would say, okay, hold her down. So I always made Cindy do it. And, uh, but I remember, no, I was there. I'd take one arm, Cindy would take one arm. Didn't I? No? Okay. Maybe I made Cindy do it. But I remember somebody had to hold her down. I remember doing it. And, and so that she could have blood drawn. And she would just look at me and cry, look at Cindy and cry. And she was saying, my mom, my dad, why have you forsaken me? And God was using that to hold her down, created some pain, created some discomfort, but it was for her good. And he was always present. And so when you have pain, when you have difficulty in your life, remember, God is always present. God will always use it. We think of pain from our perspective, but I want you to think about it from God's perspective. How can God be glorified in our pain? How can we make people know? How can we make people be aware of his presence? Most of the time, it's not when things are going great for us that we make God known to them because they say, oh man, aren't you lucky? But it's when things are going bad and people say, man, how do you experience that? How do you go through it with that kind of attitude? And you say, you know what? God, God is in my life. And he's going to make something good out of this. He's going to, you know, it may take 10 years for me to realize it, but he's going to make something good out of it. He's going to make himself known through this. And I trust him more than I trust the doctors. I trust him more than I trust my circumstances. I trust him more than the people I love in this world. I trust him most of all. And if he allows it to happen, then it's good. It's good for him, and it'll be good for me. So I pray today that you will become aware of who God is in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow for me.